you want to turn in your Bibles to the book of Job, <laughs> Job, of course, um, we're beginning a new series in the book uh, this morning. There's 42 chapters in the book of Job. I've penciled it out, and I think I can get through this book in 16 studies. You're saying, well, obviously, we're not going to be doing an in-depth on verse by verse, chapter by chapter, but we'll be hitting, especially as we go through the major portions of the middle of the book, on the major themes and what God has to say in each section. Now, you're saying, well, I don't know if I can take 16 straight weeks of Job. (laughs) It's a pretty difficult book. But rest assured, what we're going to do, we're going to intersperse them with a study in the book of Philippians. And if I remember right, the major theme is the joy of the Lord in the book of Philippians. So what we'll be doing through the next couple of weeks is we'll be doing, uh, and Pastor Rob will be doing Philippians, uh, we'll be doing a bad cop, good cop. (laughs) Okay. So that's what we'll be doing over the next uh, couple of weeks. Now, as far as the background is, we're not sure who the author is. We're not sure who the author is. Now, there's a lot of eyewitness accounts, so we'd have to say, "Mm, there's a good chance that Job wrote uh, a good portion of it. We're not sure. Uh, He gets revelation of what happens in heaven. So most commentators feel that Job is the author of the book, although there's some controversy. It's not said who wrote the book. As far as the uh, time when it was written, there's a few references, like here in verse 5, there's a reference to burnt offerings, but there's not a lot of mosaic stuff, like the law and the temple and the sap. So most people are thinking that this was written prior to the time of Moses and the Exodus. Uh, Some people say it is the oldest book in the Bible. The style of the writing, um, there's two two and a half chapters of narrative. First two chapters and the last half chapter uh, is narrative. The rest is poetry. Um, It has been uh, seen as perhaps the greatest poem of ancient and uh, modern uh, day. It's seen as that way, an incredible poem. Yet at the same time, poems require a little bit more finesse in dealing with them because they're a different style than a narrative. Narrative, you can, uh, you can interpret a little bit differently. So we, you're going to have to allow me a little freedom as we get into the poetry section, but I know you will. You're a very loving group of people. So we need to take that into account as we get into the poetry section, which is chapter 3 through a good part of uh, the middle of the book. Now, as a staff pastor uh, since 1982 and a senior pastor since 1987, I have seen within this congregation affliction and suffering. I've participated in some of that. I've, uh, we've had to bury newborns. It's a very difficult time burying a newborn. We've had to say goodbye to many dear husbands and wives and friends of people who have attended here in the church. We have had people suffer for an incredibly long time and even now are suffering for extended periods of time. We think of our dear 
uh, Sister Jane Fry and also uh, Pastor Farouz, our Persian pastor, Karina, uh, 24-7 for two and a half years now, immense, incredible pain. We've had economic turntowns. We've had opportunities that looked good but turned out to be bogus. And so over the years, um, we've seen affliction and suffering right here in our little fellowship. Now, I'd like to believe, we would like to believe that if we're following the Lord, if we're walking with the Lord, that things should go relatively well. Uh, That, however, is not true. Now, some of in the Christian uh, realm would say, well, the problem, Neil, is you just need to have a little bit more faith. That's your problem. You need faith. And I, uh, as we will see, I I disagree with that. I think faith is an important ingredient. Uh, But the testimony of the book of Job, the testimony of our Lord Jesus, and the writers of the New Testament, along with the experience that I've had in the 42 years that I've been a Christian, uh, says that is not necessarily the problem. And we'll look at that in just a minute. How then do we understand affliction and suffering especially when it's applied to Christian people, people who love the Lord, people who are seeking to follow him. Now, we can understand affliction and suffering with the unbelievers. They many times have brought that on themselves, amen? But we struggle with this whole concept of people who love Jesus, people who were following the Bible. How do we get a handle on that? How do we understand it? Well, um, sometimes we really don't, but I want to provide especially this morning, at least four handles kind of hang our doubts, hang our questions on, okay? So that's kind of the way we'll handle the first chapter. Uh, there's 22 verses, so we'll, we'll read a few verses and then uh, pause and have some comments. Let's begin Job chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless upright, fearing God, and turning away from evil. Seven sons and three daughters were born to him. His possessions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and very, very many servants. And that man was the greatest of all the men of the East. His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on, on his day, We assume that's the birthday. And they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. When the days of feasting had completed their cycle, Job would send and consecrate them, rising up early in the morning and offering burnt offerings, according to the number of them all. For Job said, perhaps my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continuously. Your attention, the first thing, First handle we see in verses 1 through 5, affliction and suffering are not limited either by our righteousness or prosperity. One of the chief sins of men is we think we have complete control over our lives. As a matter of fact, James in chapter 4 verse 13 says that if you think you're saying, I'm going to go to such a city and do such a thing and buy and sell and all of that, and you don't include uh, considering the will of the Lord that that, James says in 
verse 18, chapter 4, he says that's arrogant and it is evil. (laughs) Now, we would like to think we're captains of our ship. (laughs) We're masters of our fate. But if we don't include the idea that God is somehow involved in all of this, James says that's evil. Now, no one wants to suffer. Amen? I, we don't need to... How many of us in this room want to suffer this morning? We, we, none of us want to suffer. And still we go about, oftentimes, preparing our lives to kind of protect ourselves, building walls against uh, afflictions and sufferings. That's very natural and commendable in many ways. However, affliction and suffering are not limited by either our righteousness or our prosperity. Now, Job is a good example of a man who seems to have his life together. He seems to be well protected. Let's take a look. Look at verses 1 and verse 8 also. It says of him that he was a blameless, upright man, fearing God, turning away from evil. That's the testimony even of the Lord in verse 8. He is truly a good man. As a matter of fact, it says in verse 5 that on a regular basis he was offering sacrifices just in case maybe his sons had sinned. So he was not only a good man, but he was protective of the people that worked for him and especially his children. And we can see these are grown children. These are grown children. So he's taking care. However, we're mistaken if we think Okay, uh, let's see. Okay, Pastor Neil challenged us to read through the Bible of the year. I'm going to do that. Um, I'm going to come to the prayer meeting on a regular basis. I'm going to go to home fellowships. I'm going to, uh, Pastor Rob said, we ought to learn how to share the gospel. I'm going to take that class on Monday. I'm going to be involved in all those things. There, I'm going to be okay. Not necessarily so, my friends. Why do I say that? Look at our friend here, Joe. Now, if you want to follow the pattern of Job, blameless, upright, fearing God, turning away from evil, there's a probably good indication that you won't be stabbed in a bar at one o'clock in a drunken brawl. That's probably a good indication that's not going to happen. <laughs> However, it's not going to keep affliction and suffering from perhaps entering into your life. Now, my... Um, my daughter's mom, my late wife, she, was, uh, she became a Christian before she was a teenager. She never drank. She never smoked. She never messed around. She was a wonderful Christian mother. She was married to a pastor, me. She taught the women's Bible study. She was involved in worship, leading worship here at Calvary Chapel when we were in high school. She did all that, and she suffered terribly from breast cancer and died. Your righteousness, your walk with the Lord, not necessarily will not protect you, will not limit affliction and suffering. Being a Christian, walking with the Lord, is not a lucky rabbit's foot that you can kind of keep and rub to keep you from the tribulations that Jesus says we will suffer in this life. 
Now look at verse 3. So we see that righteousness won't limit it. Look at uh, Job. It says that he was the greatest of all the men of the East. And I think that has to do with his economic status. Because it's attached right to verse 3. If anybody, if anybody seemed to be protected from economic downturns and difficulties, it was the man, Job. He was the richest man in that area of, of the world. Greatest of men, the Bible says. But that didn't protect him. Now, I see it. I haven't watched this program, but I see it on Discovery. Maybe some of you are watching it. It's called The Doomsday Preppers. Do you know what a Doomsday Prepper is? It's on, I think it's on Discovery Channel. And it's about these guys who are hunkering down in the mountains. They've got the guns and the cars and the tanks and whatever else. Their their paranoia has reached levels unbelievable as they try and protect themselves from natural disasters or the end of the world or the collapse of the American government and the chaos that's going to take place as a result. They've gone off the chart. Do you remember what happened in 1999 with Y2K and all that kind of craziness? Well, what are you saying, Pastor Neil? Well, do we need to serve the Lord? Yes. Do we need to love Jesus? Yes. Do you need to come to church? Do you need to read the Bible? Yes, 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 yes. All those things. Do, you, do we need to provide for our family? Of course we do. Do we need to work hard to protect our family? Do we need to try and get health care? Or, or do we need to have maybe some life insurance just in case? Yeah, of course. Yes, yes, yes. I'm not saying anything against that. What I'm saying is those don't necessarily will not limit suffering and affliction because we see that as example right here in, in the book of Job. Okay. Well, Pastor Neil, this is really getting depressing. Just hold on. Let's take a look at verses 6 through 12. Now, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? Then Satan answered the Lord, From roaming about on the earth and walking on it. The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on the earth a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. Then Satan answered the Lord, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge about him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But put forth your hand now and touch all that he has and he will surely curse you to your face. Then the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not put forth your hand on him. So Satan departed from the presence of the Lord. Second handle we see is affliction and suffering are seen in the context of the sovereignty of God. Now, in these verses, we get a little peek. We get a little peek into eternity and what brought about Job's experience. We see clearly that it did not come from the hand of God, but it was initiated by Satan, but allowed within the context of the sovereignty of God. 
Now, some might ask, well, how could God allow such undeserved suffering? How could he, I mean, this man was a good man. Why, why would he allow those things to happen within the context of his suffering? Good question. A couple of thoughts. Look at verses 9 through 11. Satan accuses Job of only loving God because of what he gets. Notice what he says. Have you not made a hedge about him, verse 10, and his house and all that he has? You have blessed the work of his hands and the possessions and the increase in his land. So the only reason he's worshiping you is because you're giving him stuff and you're taking care of him. But he goes on. He also, he also attacks the integrity of God. He's saying the only reason you can get those miserable people on that earth to worship you is because you're giving them stuff. You're not worthy of worship. You have to pay them to worship you. So he attacks the reason for Job doing what he's doing, and he attacks the integrity of God. You're not worthy to be worshipped. You have to pay people to worship you. Now, we'll learn later that one of the reasons that God did what he did, although it's not appears here, is he was going about Deepening Job's spiritual insight. We'll see that and we'll cover that. Now, we have to understand what we see here in this chapter does not cover everybody's experience. This is the reason given in the scriptures why Job went through what he did. Now, two questions come to mind. What's the reason for my suffering or the suffering of those people that I know and love? Um, I don't know many times. But whatever the reason, it must be seen within the context of the sovereignty of God. What does the sovereignty of God mean? It means that he's in charge. He's in charge. Romans 8.28 says what? It says, we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and those who are called to recover your persons. We all have that memorized. That means that he takes the good, the bad, and the ugly, and he works it together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. He is not the author of sin on this earth. He is not. Who is? I'm looking at him. You are. My ancestors. I am. We decided we don't want anything with God and the consequences have brought out this evil world. Now, God hasn't lost control. He's still in sovereignty. And he will use everything, both the good and the bad, to accomplish his purposes. We have to see our suffering within the context of the sovereignty of God. Other question could, well, Pastor Neil, you've given us some reasons why Job went through what he did. But how can you justify the terrible suffering that this man and his family went through? How can it be justified just by verses 9 and 11? Are you kidding me? That's it? Wait a minute, wait a minute. We don't see everything, do we? We don't see everything. Remember, he's working all things together for the good. We don't see anything about what he's doing in Job's wife's life. Now, obviously, she needs some help because she, her advice to her husband is curse God and die. She obviously has some issues that God is working at. 
Perhaps his sons, his daughters. There were some things there that we don't... Um, there's nothing said about them. How about his three feckless friends who come along to uh, drive him na- crazy? And we'll talk about those in the coming weeks. So we're not really sure exactly everything that's going on, but God is working all things together for the good. And we have to trust God. The God of the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, we know his character, that he is good. He is always good, but he is just and holy. And so we have to trust him that he's working those things in within the counsel of his will, within the sovereignty of God. We don't see it all. We also need to remember what God's priority is. What do you mean? Well, what's our priority? We're always thinking about how we're doing, my health, and reasonably so, amen? Uh, thinking about how we're going to take care of, you know, providing for our family. That's our priority oftentimes. But that's not his priority. <laughs> uh, you're not going to like this. I say this all the time, but you're not going to like it. You never like it when I say it. God's priority is with your soul. That's number one, your soul. The real person, you know, the person that lives forever. Your body was going to die one day. It, that's not his priority. <laughs> that's not his priority. I know it's your priority, and God bless you for that. But <laughs> that's not his priority. He is interested in your soul. And if he has to burn your flesh with some terrible consequences or results of your sin or whatever... He will do that. Oh, Neil, don't say that. (laughs) Now, Romans 8.18 says what? Paul writes, I do not consider the sufferings of this present world even to be compared to the glory that will be revealed in you. Did you hear that? See, our focus is on, oh, my pain and my discomfort. Paul writes, don't he, it's not even worthy to be considered compared to what you would have when we get to heaven. So affliction and suffering need to be understood within the context of the sovereignty of God and his plan. Okay. Let's read verses 13 through 19. Well, what happens? You've been talking about suffering. Well, what happened to him? Here, in case you haven't read the book, here it comes. Verse 13. Now on the day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their older brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them. And the Sabians attacked and took them. They also slew the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another came and said, the fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another came and said, the Chaldeans formed three bands and made a raid on the camels and took them and slew the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, your sons and your daughters were eating and drinking wine 
in their older brother's house. And behold, a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house and it fell on the young people and they died. I alone have escaped to tell you. Our third handle is affliction and suffering can be both physical and emotional. Job just didn't lose his stuff, his physical things, but there was a tremendous emotional loss. Can you imagine losing all your children? Can you imagine losing all your friends, all your servants, the people who have served you? Now, it's interesting, his loss came by both enemies and natural. Did you notice that? It kind of alternated. Uh, First you have the Sabians. Then you have fire from heaven. We're not sure what that is, perhaps some sort of uh, lightning strike or something along that lines. Then the Chaldeans, then the enemies, and then, again, uh, the wind. So you have natural forces and then enemies. And uh, they alternate. Did you notice this phrase? And he was still speaking, while he was still speaking. So it was like a bad report came, and then while he was still finishing up with one report, another person came, and another, and another. Three times it happened. No time for reflection, no time for, well, can you pray for me? Nothing, it just was one. Have you ever had one of those days when it starts off bad and then just, it just goes <laughs> one after another? You're thinking, ah, I, just, I should have stayed in bed today. <laughs> now, I also found in this, I don't, I'm not quite sure how to do this because if you notice in verse 12, the Lord said, um, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Wow. And there was fire from heaven and a great wind. Oh, so maybe there's some indication that Satan has some power in the natural forces, but I'll just leave that to the theologues to figure out. Now, affliction and suffering can be both physical and emotional. Um, we, We can't imagine the pain that him and his wife went through in losing all their children. Now, my mom was born in 1918 in Canada. She had four siblings. All of them were born before her. And only one lived. My grandmother lost three of her precious little children to childhood diseases that were very prevalent in the early 1900s. It absolutely devastated my grandmother. It devastated her. My mom told me she could remember her father, my grandfather, telling her and taking responsibility over all that was going in the house because mom was sick in the bedroom. She wasn't sick. She was dev- she, she crashed in this incredible depression that took her life for many, many years. However, she was greatly encouraged towards the end of her life as my mom produced four very healthy, exuberant children. I was one of them. We can't imagine what that feels like. Now, do you remember the, um, the tornadoes that went through the Midwest uh, last year? What was the report we saw over and over again? The report was what? Uh, you'd have some testimony, and they'd put the mic up, and 
And there's a person standing among the rubble of their house, and they said what? We lost everything, but thank God the kids are okay. You remember that? It was repeated over and over again. The family's okay. My husband's alive. My wife is alive. I didn't lose my family. Job lost everything, and he lost all of his kids. You can't imagine the pain that this caused. Now, sometimes losing all the stuff is good. I remember when I was in grade school, my dad, his business was seized by the IRS because of tax problems, and we lost everything. We lost our beautiful house. We lost his business. It was gone. We lost... um, the only thing we left is we just packed up our furniture and moved to the Jersey Shore without any promise of any kind of income or any kind of job. And it was very, very difficult times, economic. But we, he still had his four kids, and uh, we kind of came together. It was really good. My mom and dad stopped smoking, stopped drinking. They didn't have any money for any of that stuff. And so, uh, <laughs> and it was really a good thing for our family. Job lost everything, but... Even then, he lost his kids. He lost his kids. So affliction and suffering can bring both physical and can be both physical and emotional. Okay, let's look at verses 20 through uh, 22. Then Job arose and tore his robe, shaved his head, and he fell to the ground and worshiped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Affliction and suffering reveal the reality of our spirituality. They reveal the reality of our spirituality. How do you respond when things start to go south? How do you respond? There was an ad on TV. I've seen it. It's advertising. I think it's a football TV channel, the NFL channel. I think it is. And there's this song, you had a bad day, you know, and you see the people (laughs) crying and banging their head on the shower because their team lost. Those people are really football fanatics. Have you ever watched the Raiders game? Now, those football fans for the Raiders... Uh, they, they are a unique, very special group. <laughs> they, are, they are really into football. And, uh, and the point is that some people really get into it when things go bad. How do you go? Now, Job shows the depth of his spirituality because what? What does it say? Well, he tore his robe, shaved his head, fell to the ground. So he mourned for his loss. Amen? Amen. There was a morning there, a real honest morning. But then what does it say? And he worshiped. He worshiped the Lord. Look what he says in verse 21. Naked I came from my mother's womb. He realizes he came in with nothing, and he's going out with nothing. He, he, he recognizes the reality. Now, some are, are troubled by the second half of that verse where it says, Naked I should return there. He's not returning to his mother's womb. He's returning to the dust of the ground because that's where he originated. Um, Job's issue um, 
was not that the Lord had given and the Lord had taken away, but as with most of us, the timing. <laughs> he just didn't agree with the timing, right? We all know that you know, we're all going to go. It's just maybe just not yet, Lord. Now look what he says. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. How did he do that? <laughs> How do you do that? Well, it's supernatural. It's supernatural. Now, some, like, uh, like my grandmother, a loss of that nature, say losing your kids or losing a precious spouse or whatever it is, a, a brother or sister, would throw them into a tailspin for the rest of their lives. Kind of like my grandmother for a while. Till my mom began to have her own children. and She was able to enter into the joy of having grandchildren. For a long time she was really struggled. Perhaps you've had somebody in your family that has lost somebody dear and precious and it kind of throws you into a tailspin. How did Job do what he did? Now we're going to see later as we get on in this book, you're going to see that um, as the suffering continues and his friends keep <laughs> really uh, really going after him, he, it does wear a little thin. We're going to see a little, we're going to see the real veneer. You're going to really be stretched in this experience. But right at the beginning, he worships God. And he, Satan had said, he'll curse you to your face, God. And what does Job do? He doesn't curse, he blesses the Lord. How's he do that? Well, somebody said, uh, don't hold on to things real tightly in this life because the Lord is going to have to pry them out of your hand. Ah. Uh, Job held those things within the context of the sovereignty of God and the kingdom of God. He held them lightly and he was able to what? Let them go. Because the reality of the kingdom of God was really, really real. Really real. It wasn't just a head knowledge, but it was in his soul. I had an appointment with my surgeon this week, uh, the fellow who took the rather large tumor out of me in, in August. And he's a head and neck doctor. And he says, Neil, um, my specialty is tumors and cancers. That's why he did me. I had a, it wasn't cancer, but it was rather a large benign tumor in the side of my face. And he says, and he's a Christian man, good man. So he looked at me and he says, oh, you're fine. You'll do an MRI and see you in about a year. So he gave me a clean bill of health. As far as he knows, if the Lord wills. <laughs> I want to be careful with that, Lord, if the Lord wills. And then he began to talk. He says, you know, Neil, I don't know how, because he deals with some really heavy cases. Big, he does big tumors and cancers. That's what his specialty is, in the neck and the head. He said, Neil, I don't know how 
these people do it without the Lord. He says, you know, I have some cases that are heartbreaking. I don't know how they get through it without the Lord. He says, let me tell you a case. He says, didn't give me the name, and he just kept it generic. He said, I have a patient that he's got a cancer, and it's started in his ear area, and it's eating his brain. It's just consuming his brain. It's gotten into his brain. He says the main artery to the brain is being crushed by the tumor as it progressively eats into his brain. And yet he's still alive. And he told him the other day, you should be dead. They looked at the MRI. He says, there's no way that you're supposed to be alive today looking at the condition of your brain. And they've done everything. They've done radical chemotherapy, radiation. They just cannot stop this cancer. The man knows he's going to die. But he said, Doc, I made a deal with the Lord. He said, Lord, let me live long enough to share with at least a hundred people the gospel of Jesus Christ before I die. And he lives in a very populous area here in Orange County. He says there's a large park that he inhabits. And the doc says, uh, how you doing? He says, I'm up to a thousand. <laughs> and the doc says, I, I understand. He should be dead. Now, how do you figure this all out? You really can't. You have to understand all this, that which we're going through and the difficulties that you're facing. Your economic prosperity and your spirituality are not going to protect you. It's not. It's not. You have to understand it within the sovereign work of God's will in your life. Oftentimes, it'll take a physical and emotional toll on you. But wait a minute, wait a minute. It's not worthy even to be compared with a glory that'll be revealed in you. And oftentimes, it'll reveal your real spirituality. Now, you remember, I remember the... um, 60 Minutes, about a year or so ago, they did a, a special on all the victims of Bernie Madoff. Do you remember that, Bernie Madoff? He took many of his rich friends and he stole all of their money. And these were his friends. Do you remember? Some, I saw it in 60 Minutes. And some of these people were almost millionaires and they lost everything. They had to move in with their kids because they lost everything everything, and some of them were absolutely, it wrecked their whole lives. How do you do, how do you handle these kind of things? It is supernatural. It's God. And when you have the Lord and his kingdom, it's really, really, really real. You can end up Like Job, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name 
of the Lord. Let's pray with him. Father, I, I don't think there's not one of us who wish sufferings or afflictions in our lives. But we know your word and Jesus said to us that in this world we will have tribulation. We will have afflictions and sufferings. That's just part of his life. However, you went further. Your dear son said, but I, be of good cheer, but I have overcome the world. Lord, help each one of us as we face the difficulties of life, those things that you allow within your sovereign will and work in our lives. Allow us to gain strength and witness from our brother Job, who many thousands of years ago suffered much more than many of us will ever suffer, and yet did not curse you, did not turn his back on you. Yes, he will question you, and he'll fight with that. But help us to hold on to you, because we know you're good. You're really, really good. You're just. You're holy and you're righteous. Help us to hold on to your word. Give us grace and strength to be a witness. And help us to find comfort in your word, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.